The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. You can support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Photojournalism has changed a lot in the last decade, largely propelled by an increased appetite for multimedia. Though the still image is still first and foremost, there is also a desire for stories that leverage the power of audio and video. So the modern visual journalist not only has to have a nose for news, but they also have to be proficient with more than just a still camera. But ultimately, it's not just about the technology. It's about the story and finding a way to make readers and viewers understand why this particular story is worthy of their attention, why it's important that they know about this. Sophia Nali Allison is part of a new generation of visual journalists who are using the medium to tell stories that not only matter to them personally, but who recognize the importance of sharing these stories of people's successes and tragedies in a way that encourages people to do more than just skim the headlines. I can't think of a better guest with which to end our ninth season of TCF. Enjoy. What part of South Los Angeles did you grow up in? I grew up in Jefferson Park. Well, first Lamert Park, and then we moved to Jefferson Park. Okay. Yeah. So my mom was a storyteller in the area, so my brother and I were really um, always involved and aware of the art scene, of the richness of the art scene in Lamert Park. Um, and my dad was a musician, so we were always surrounded by that eclectic, beautiful side of South Central L.A. Uh, you, you know Michael Datcher? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, he used to do the uh, that that little writing group that they had in the Lamert Park. Oh, wow! Uh, during I think it was the two thousands. Okay, I left in two thousand and three. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Yeah, you were you you were you were you weren't going to school at least high school in in the area. You were. You were I was going bust. to high school at um, Palisades, so I went to Baldwin Hills for elementary, Palms for middle school, and then Palisades High School for uh, my first two years of high school. Okay, so for people who don't know, why don't you describe the the differences? Let's oh use my those gosh, it's such a difference, um, and it's something that really inspires me. It. So I, I grew up in a predominantly black area, being South Central Los Angeles on a, on a busy street um, on Arlington Ave. And my parents really wanted us to go to Palisades High School, which is off of the Pacific Coast Highway um, in the Palisades on, on a mountain overlooking the beach. Um, my home school would have been Dorsey High School, and I had friends that went there and um, but I ended up going to Pali. And so we would wake up at about 6, 6.30, get on the bus around 7, maybe a little bit earlier. And you drive through South Central. You're driving through all these different neighborhoods. And then my favorite part is whenever we would enter the tunnel on the freeway about to enter on PCH, the landscape would completely just change. And you're just riding along the ocean. Um, and it was such a vast difference from where I grew up to where I was going. And I remember I would just kind of shut down when I got to that point and just look out of the window of the bus and just kind of daydream in that ocean because it was such a different environment than what we grew up around. So, yeah, it really it taught me what it's like to be in different environments, but it also taught me to appreciate where I was from. 
I had a similar experience when I was in junior high. I oh wow! In, I was in uh, in this in a speech team in junior okay. high, and we would go to these to compete at these other schools all over Southern California, and that was my first introduction to this other world uh, of this suburban world where. Uh, the students weren't largely black or Hispanic. And I saw um, the resources and the facilities that these schools would have. Yes. And it was the first time I was aware of the disparity. And it really uh, surprised me, but it also gave me a perspective that I think that a lot of students who have the entire education in just one area, in this case, South LA, really don't get a sense of. And I think it really shaped my perspective exactly. of what it means to... Uh, be black or brown skinned uh, to live in a in a very different sort of class, mm-hmm. and I think it's always sort of colored my perspective in a lot of things. And I, I and I'm really curious to hear about how that sort of shaped not only your perception of yourself and and where you were growing up in, but how it started informing what you felt you wanted to do and wanted to achieve with your life. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I found that I was never ashamed of where I lived until I went to Palisades High School because um, only a small amount of students could relate to that. And the the majority of students I was surrounded by came from wealthier neighborhoods, um, had a much different experience growing up. And I realized that I just I, I just didn't understand how to deal with that balance of living in this black community, um, living in South Central and then spending half of my day in this beautiful environment where around students that had so much privilege. And I really had to deal with that when I was um, a sophomore in high school. My dad passed away, and that's when my mom decided um, we were going to leave Los Angeles and move to Chicago. Both of my parents were originally from Chicago, so she wanted us to be around her family during that time, and we moved to the suburbs. So I'd already had that experience with high school of being around um, more privileged students, predominantly white students, but I didn't have that experience of living in that environment. Um, so my first year of high school in Illinois, I, you know, I, we lived with my grandmother. I st- stayed in the same room with my mom for my first year, my junior year of high school. And it was extremely hard because I felt, again, that shame, but even heightened because now I was around people that had that idea of the nuclear family that had two parents, that had been privileged all their lives, that had beautiful thousand million dollar homes. Um, And now I was in that environment, but still completely less than them um, in the sense of economics and just what my experiences had been in life. My brother and I had dealt with a lot at a young age. My mom overcame cancer, breast cancer, when we were in middle school um, into the early years of high school. And then right after her recovery, my dad died. So I found that I wanted to escape all of that. So I got involved with theater when I moved to Illinois. And it was a way to just kind of not deal with that past that had happened. And I ended up going to the University of Illinois at Chicago to study theater. I received a scholarship for it. And halfway throughout my second year, I realized I'm not happy doing this because I wanted to get back to my roots. I wanted to get back to what I was familiar with, what I grew up around, the stories I knew, the people I knew. So I just left school and started teaching myself photography and teaching myself video. And I started working with youth and youth in Chicago that resembled me in Los Angeles. I wanted to give back to those kids, um, give back to those young people who, who I could see myself in. 
So I started um, working as a teaching artist, and then I ended up going back to school. I went to Columbia College um, in Chicago. And after nine years, I got my degree in photojournalism. It's just been a mission of mine to tell those stories that we shouldn't be ashamed of, to tell those stories that are are fuller, that have more depth. Because growing up in that area, I saw more than just the bad. I saw the beauty in it. I saw the diversity. I saw the talent. I saw the richness. But a lot of times I think people that aren't from those communities only see it as one way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was very easy for me in the beginning to want to get away from that. But I realized I couldn't anymore. That was who I was. South Central raised me. That's, you know, that was my upbringing. That was my environment. Those are my people. Um, So I hold it very close to me. And I am no longer ashamed to say that's where I'm from, because it shouldn't be a negative thing at all. It should be something very positive. Um, so that's what my work focuses on. How how can I, as a person of color, as a as a black woman, help change this narrative that's been butchered for so long? How can I bring some life to these stories that have that have so much life already? Um, and how can I translate that with my camera? It's interesting that that part of your story I- involves educating kids because, yeah. as you, as you just said. You know, you wanted to use your camera, you wanted to use the video, you wanted to use audio, and, and to sort of give a different perspective on a community and a culture that oftentimes is portrayed very negatively. But very early on, you embraced the idea of reaching out to kids and being being an educator. And some people tend to do that later. Right. They go out and say, I'm going to be a photojournalist, I'm going to tell my stories, so on and so forth. But you you didn't wait until you had sort of a career underneath your belt to return no. to the kids. So why was it so important for you to do that early on? You know what? It just it just healed my heart. It made me I, I realized that in this in all the stress and all the anxiety and all the fear of what am I going to do with my life? How am I actually going to reach that goal of breaking into this industry, which is extremely hard to break into? How do I do that? So I kind of wanted to take the attention off of myself and, and tell myself I will figure that out. But right now, since while I'm trying to understand that journey, I want to help people that are younger than me that really need help understanding this journey. And it just really, it really made me come, come alive. I just, every time I would go into the classroom, every time I worked with young people, I felt their magic and I felt their talent. And it broke my heart that no one knew this, that no one saw this, that People didn't realize young people have so much to offer, have so much to say. They, they need people to listen to them. They want people to listen to them. And when you give them those tools to tell their stories, it's powerful. And that's what I started to realize. And I realized that, you know, even though I wasn't in a classroom, even though, for myself learning, even though I wasn't in this professional environment, they taught me so much. So it pushed me to be better. It pushed me to challenge myself. And then I decided that I had to continue my education. If I want to see young people grow, I have to continue growing myself. And there's only so much I can do with teaching um, if I'm not practicing my craft as well. So that's why I decided to go back to school and then now in grad school. Um, and it's something that I would love to return to. I I taught with Step Up Women's Network, Street Level Youth Media, Marwin. I taught, um, and then I did several workshops in Los Angeles as well. I wanted to go back home and, and work with young people in my community. So I did that for a, just a little a couple of months. But it meant so much to me to see them come to life, to see that it meant more than anything to see that someone believed in them. And I think that's the answer to so many problems, just passing passing down your gifts to other people. You know, one of the projects that you worked on while you were in Chicago was uh, a series of images that you made of Chicago schools. Yes. 
Well, I want you to tell us uh, about that and and why you chose to photograph it in the way that you did, because you were exploring uh, a lot of issues in terms of education, in terms of what was happening uh, with the kids in that community, especially with a lot of the, the violence and the and just a, just a lot of sad, sad stuff. But you chose to do it in a very different way than I think other people would have uh, anticipated you might photograph it. So wh why don't you tell us about the story behind that and why you chose to make the images that you did? Yeah. Um, so working with youth, I, I love education and I love the idea of school being this place to uplift young people. But I realized that wasn't the reality in Chicago. Um with gun violence and with so many young people losing their life daily. So I just kept seeing so much coverage on Chicago violence and I didn't want to repeat anything I'd seen done. I just wanted to figure out a different way to do it. Um, and I've always been drawn to architect architecture. It's not something I plan to continue shooting, you know, shooting buildings at all. I really love working with people and doing video. But for this, I wanted to create that feeling of isolation and deterioration that was happening within the city. And I felt like people were becoming numb to the idea of young people losing their lives, especially young black and brown people when whites probably were not could not relate to this um, when the other part of Chicago was very removed from what was happening on the south and west sides. School was the place that I thought everyone will understand, no matter what race you are, no matter what your social economic standing is. If you have a child, they go to school. You send them to this place that you expect to be a safe environment. You expect them to, you know, be surrounded by warm people, have friends, get their education, and grow into this human being that you've always imagined you wanted them to be. But that wasn't the reality for these young people. These places were losing them by the numbers. So I just thought the way to capture people is to see, to see a total, to see that amount right in their face. And so with each school, I really wanted to create that st um, static feeling and have it be very stoic um, and strip away everything that we want school to be and just have it be this bare institution that's losing these children. And it's not, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't blaming the schools. That's going into a whole nother story um, with CPS, but I just wanted it to be this tally of look at all these young people that have been losing their lives. So when you look at these buildings that are void of life, that are void of color and, and void of young people, but you see the list of names that some are in elementary, some are in middle school, some are in high school, and they'll never make it past that point of graduation. I, I was hoping that was a way to humanize it and make people really understand what was happening. Um, there's a second part to this piece, which is has audio stories from young people in the city. And I just have to add it to my website. I, I would like to revisit this project, but I just wanted to find a way to use buildings to speak to people and, and to use this idea of institutions to talk about what it means to have life and what it means to be void of life. In photojournalism, in, in journalism in general, there's this whole thing about ob objectivity. Yes. Which I think is, is more of a myth than it is a, a real oh my God. practical yeah. practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by being in this community with these kids, by serving as an educator for them, as well as sort of documenting their lives in, in the role of a visual journalist, that sort of, there's a sort of a personal investment that you have in your relationships right. with these people, as well as your, and in, in that same time, you're also trying to serve your own professional desires in terms of what you're trying to do with your exactly. with, with your work. So for, for for you, how does that sort of that sort of dual dynamic influence what you choose to do or don't do? 
Huh, that's such an interesting question. I guess I can relate that to an incident that just happened. Um, I was I just did a story on a high school marching band in North Carolina, and I was spending time with them. And there was mo- one moment where two students um, were having an argument. And in my head, I thought, as a photojournalist, you should probably pick up your camera and take a picture of this. Mm-hmm. But as a person, I thought, but you know what? This is a serious situation happening right now, and this is something they need to deal with, and I'm still new in their environment. And I don't want them to think I'm here just to exploit the bad because that's what we've experienced so often in life. Whenever we see pictures of ourselves, it's always exploiting us just in our worst moments. And I had to think everyone has arguments. Everyone has fights. This is not something new. This is not something where if I take a picture of it, it's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm always... I, I, I'm in this balance of who, who am I without my camera? And that reality is I'm a black queer woman and I have to respect that before anything else. And I have to make sure I'm respecting the people that are letting me into their lives, the people that I'm caring about, the people that I'm taking pictures of and photographs of, and it's not to exploit them. And I think having that relationship with, with young people and having that relationship with people in the community it makes you think twice about what you want to take a photo of because sometimes you just need to sit there and listen. Sometimes you just need to observe your environment. Sometimes you just need to talk and not even bring your camera and really get to know to know people and just just be a part of that environment as opposed to what can I constantly capture because you'll miss the truth of that story if you're if you already go in with an idea of who these people are or who these people should be. I hope that answers your question, but it just makes it makes me really care about their image. And so, you know, it's that idea of objectivity. Again, am I being subjective? No, I'm just deciding what needs to be seen at this moment. We have so many images of negative encounters with black people, poverty, sadness, pain. And while that's important to capture, we also need to think about what's happening that's positive, what's happening that's good, what's happening that humanizes us and makes us just everyday people that you see. I think one of the things that really helps achieve that in your work is is the inclusion of the audio recordings because the photographs are wonderful, but when you get to hear these people's voices, it adds something amazing to it. When, when did you realize that audio was going to be an important part? I, I know you do video, but I, I want to start off with, with talking about audio. When did you realize that the incorporation of audio was going to provide you an important tool in in trying to achieve your goals? Um, Several years ago, I heard an audio story from 1993 called Ghetto Life 101 with Lee Allen Jones and Lloyd Newman. Um, And it was two young boys, I think they were maybe 13 and 14, and they were given audio equipment to go throughout Chicago. They lived in, I think it was Ida B. Wells. I, I don't want to get that wrong. They lived in one of the housing projects in Chicago. And they, for several days, documented their story. And they met this famous basketball player. They interviewed their principal. They interviewed people in their neighborhood. And to me, it was just the richness of bringing to life these stories only by voices and what the, what's, being, what's resonating in someone's voice, the emotion you can hear in someone's voice, what the, what's happening in the background that really just made my heart jump when I finally heard this story and heard how how powerful audio could be and, and that it could be so rich that you don't need the visuals, you don't need the moving pictures. Um, and it's a craft that I would still love to perfect, but I just realized from hearing their story and then a second one that they did a couple of years later called Remorse, 
that I discovered there was such power in making someone just sit and listen to the voice because I think it does something that a still photo can't do and that text can't do. I mean, to hear someone's authentic voice, to hear the story come, come from them is really a beautiful and intense moment. You've been doing a wonderful series on South L.A. in which you've been Thank you. creating these portraits and also doing these audio interviews. And when people go to your site, they'll be able to see the portraits and clips from those conversations. Tell me about how that project started and, and what you've been trying to do with that. Yeah, so um, this project started last year. I received a, a grant. I received a, the Chicago Three Arts Award for Teaching Artists, and it provided me with the opportunity to just get the camera equipment I needed and to focus on doing a personal project for some time. Um, and I had just finished school, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I know I want to apply to grad school, but I kind of want to just get back to my roots for a moment. I really need that Um it hurts a lot sometimes being so far away from home and having that separation, and especially in the case of which it happened. So any moment that I can find a way to get back, I do. So I just realized that a lot of people who are moving to the area now, it's becoming very gentrified. They don't call it South Central anymore. They call it South Los Angeles. That's what news publications call it. That's its legal. That's its name now. They changed. They legally changed it in 2003, um, the same year that I left. But all of the natives of the area, we still call it South Central LA. And I really believe that that rebranding was to take away that negative stereotype of what South Central LA used to be and to make a more inviting environment for whoever else wants to come into this area now. And to me, it was an insult. And to a lot of people, um, it's heartbreaking to see that name go and to see how the environment is changing. So I wanted to go back and just capture this history from people that I knew, from people I um, was reaching out to and had never met before. So I used family members, I used friends, and then I met some new people while I was out there. And I wanted to just create a sense of what does South Central mean, because it's not just one thing, it's not just violence. There are some stories in here that revolve around violence because at the same time, that's a truth of what happened there, but that wasn't the only story. So I wanted to combine these positive and uplifting stories with these realities, perseverance and strength and how people have overcome these hardships because there's so there's so much diversity there. There's so much storytelling there. There's so much history. And I, I don't want to see it go away. I don't want to see it lost. My dream would be to move back um, to Lamert Park one day um, because that area is really changing. And like as I said, becoming very gentrified, and I would love to see that history restored. I would love to live there and work with the youth and just continue to document the community. But that's how it came about, just me not wanting to see it, to see it vanish, to, to make people realize that their stories and their voices are important. I think that's more than anything. It's really nice when outsiders or people who are not a part of the project think it's lovely and think it's, you've done a great job, but it means so much more to me when I find out the people that I've talked to or the people that I photographed or interviewed are happy with it. That's, that means more than anything else to me. So I just want them to realize that their story holds power and importance. You, you were working for nine months at the uh, Chicago Reporter uh, yes. for your fellowship. And I wonder how the day-to-day -day, uh, work of being a photojournalist shaped or may have changed your perspective in terms of you know what you're trying to do, and not just in terms of being a storyteller, but also trying to 
you know, create that different perspective of, of, of a certain people or a certain community. Right. Uh, I can imagine it can be very difficult when you're thinking about the sort of the, the day-to-day and the limited space that ends up being in, in, in the pages of a newspaper, even in the age of the internet. Oh, yes. Um, it's extremely difficult, and I think it's wonderful when you have a paper that understands that mission and that supports it. So while I was at the Chicago Reporter, I really worked to do personal projects within that space um, because a lot of times you don't have the the time to produce what you want for the paper. So you have to find a way to, to include that within your time. So I could kind of relate this more to my time at the Tampa Bay Times. Okay. I had a wonderful photo editor um, who really understood what I cared about and really understood the importance of it, but also wanted to see me grow as a storyteller within any environment. And I am so appreciative of that because it, it pushed me to realize that I want to be able to tell stories no matter who it is. And this is what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the black community. I'm passionate about the LGBTQ community. But if if I have to, I want to be able to go into any environment and make connections with people and to find a st- and to be able to capture a story within a, sh- a short amount of time, within a very limited space and time. Um, and it causes it forces you to think quickly and it forces you to understand how to create a sense of space, a sense of story within such limitations. Um, and that's why I love newspapers, because we all want to be able to work on the long term projects and to be able to do exactly what we love. But to be able to cr- to put what you love into any environment, into any situation, into any story is really an amazing gift and skill to have. So that's what I'm always working to perfect. Um, and then I'll be able to just translate that into the work that I'll end up doing. But being at the Chicago Reporter, working with a paper that understood the importance of covering race, of covering class and uh, economic situations, really inspired me and pushed me to keep fighting for those stories and to keep fighting those voices. Did you find either during your schooling or when working at the newspaper that when you wanted to address issues in terms of race, class, or, or sexual identity, that sometimes you, you got some pushback because people were seeing that you're trying to be more of an advocate than a, than a reporter? Oh, definitely. The, <laughs> yes. I'm trying not to say anything that could get me in trouble. But I remember <laughs> one time in my first semester at um, an undergrad at Columbia College, I was in one of my photo courses and I brought in some images I did. And after I showed, it was inspired by Carrie Mae Weems, the series. And after I showed it, the classroom was just quiet. There were like crickets and no one said anything. And I think no one ever really had any comments of, about my work. Maybe they didn't know what to say. Maybe they didn't care. Maybe it wasn't good. I don't know. But I just found that in undergrad, um, I felt very alone. I had maybe two, three photographers, one photographer, definitely my friend Keto, who I could always talk to about these issues, another um, young woman of color that was in the department with me, and then several other friends that I had within the school and then the professors that I really respected and cared about. But I found I felt very much alone um, dealing with these issues and especially seeing how everyone else wanted to exploit these issues Mm -hmm. and how I was trying to do something completely different. And it just really wasn't, it it didn't seem to be getting me anywhere, but what inspired me was learning about Roy Decarava. And when he received the Guggenheim fellowship, I believed he said, I just want to show black people like regular lives every day. That's not his exact quote, but it, it was along those lines. 
And I was so happy to see that someone could actually get somewhere from saying, hey, I just want to show how it is. Like, I'm not trying to create any crazy story. I'm not trying to to show something that's extreme. I just want to show life and make it normal and human um, because everyone else gets to show their stories that way. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it goes back to this whole idea of, of objectivity. Right. You know, this whole idea that, that people can be objective when they're photographing the other, right? When they have, oh. no, when they have no skin in the game. Mm-hmm. But if you do, then they, in, they have, they, they, I think they make the assumption that somehow you cannot be unbiased. Right. That, that your perspective is skewed. And I think that, you know, if, if you ask them to photograph something about their own world and their own reality, they would, they would not hesitate to say that they can be objective. Yes. But when they see a, someone else that they typically objectify, and, and especially in, in the role of a, of a journalist, they can't, they can't bridge the gap between how they would document their own world right. and how someone else would document theirs. Because, you know, they don't make that connection for whatever reason. Right, exactly. And I, and I can imagine it can be very frustrating at times. Yes, definitely. I, while I was at the Chicago Reporter, I remember I was doing this project where I was just taking portraits of black people and just wanting to like hear their story. It was something I was just doing on the side project. I needed something to, to make me feel like I was doing some sort of positive thing for the community. And I remember I showed my photo editor and she just didn't care about it at all. Um, she was the copy editor, not the photo editor. But then when I started to get other people that really liked the project, that's when she came around to it. So it's like our say that this is good is not enough. You still need out. They still want outsiders. They still want professionals to say it's good. And so I'm get, I want to get to that point where people see black photographers and they see the work they're doing and you don't need any big name to say, yes, this is correct. This is good. But you just understand that being a part of that community, you know what you're doing. And this, this work is important. Do you find that when you're dealing with um, with the subject matter of queer culture that you're, you're experiencing the same thing or is it somehow different? It's different. I haven't. I've just started working on that and I haven't. I've gotten for my for my grad school, I've gotten such wonderful feedback from it. And it's been so inspiring. Um, I've never worked with it at a paper, but I, I hope to do that one day. So. Right now, I've just been spending time at a, an LGBTQ church in Durham that's predominantly black um, and has a black pastor, black queer pastor as well. And it means so much to be in that environment for me because I felt like I was constantly being forced to, to fit into one space, to fit into one environment. And it, and it goes into that idea of intersectionality of people only want you to be one identity. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would find when I was in documenting black stories void of sexuality, the the subject of sexuality would come up a lot and I would find myself not certain how do I deal with this? Do I do I tell them that I'm queer? Do I not? Do I talk about this? Because, you know, there's still a lot of homophobia within that community. And I don't I don't want to say that for the community as a whole. I'm just saying that for my own personal experience. I don't um, want that to be the ideal of what the black community is, but that is something that I believe we have to talk about and we have to deal with. And then when I was in Within white communities, I found that I wasn't sure of how, how, you know, I'm using air quotes, black I should be, black I shouldn't be. And so it was like I didn't know where I would fit in at times. And so I really realized I need to start focusing on the black queer community where both of my identities are there. 
Um, and I and I can really work with those voices because so much is happening right now within that environment. And I really care about it. And I really want to provide a space for those voices. So that's that's my next thing. I realized that I, I spent such wonderful time focusing on just stories that affected the the identity and the group of black people that I, I'd grown up around and that the, the mainstream was familiar with seeing. And how do I change that narrative and focus on those stories? And now I want to go into something even deeper. So this is my next thing to, to, to really tackle and, and spend time with. Well, the, 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 the series that brought you to my attention was the, the Marching Together series in which you oh, profiled you. Um, uh, some young girls in, in high school. Tell us about what that what that's about and and what led up to it. I have always been a fan of the movie Drumline. It is like the best movie to me. I mean, there are so many other movies that come past it that like pass it by flying colors. Um, but I, when I saw it as a young person, I was just obsessed. I was like, I have to go to an HBCU. I have to be in this environment. I never and, could and dance why like it, that. Why don't you explain what HBCU is? Oh, HBCU is Historically Black College or University. So universities for African-Americans or colleges for African-Americans. And I just respected that idea so much. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. You're in this environment where you get to experience the richness of your culture and just bring it to life. So I was in my this first semester of grad school. I was in my advanced photojournalism class. And one of our assignments was document a team. Um, and initially when I thought of team, we all thought about sports and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I do not like sports at all. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in Durham. I'm, I'm in North Carolina where marching bands are so popular. And I did some research and I realized that Hillside High School had a great marching band. And I just went up to the school, met the, the director of the band, um, Coach White, and I told him what I wanted to do. I was like, I just want to spend time with you guys and document this, the talent of these young people and document this time that you guys spend working together. I just started going twice a week, and sometimes I would go without my cameras just to say hi if I'd been busy and not been able to stop by. And I just wanted to capture this, this sense of what it means to be in this um, this sport where there's so much pride, where the community members come out, where people within the community love watching the marching band, where the students work night and day um, to perfect this craft. And I just wanted to humanize it. You know, that's I grew up from middle school and elementary in predominantly black schools, and I wanted to be back in that type of environment and really put some pride on and in, in, in those images and make people realize you should be very happy to come from this environment, to come from this community, to come from this school. And more than anything, I've, re I've seen some notes from people who went to that high school and, and who live in Durham or who have family members that go to Durham, and they're so happy to see Hillside get this recognition. So that means more than anything to me that these young people can see that their images and their story is important. I just really wanted to show what it looked like behind the scenes, what it looks like when they're in their uniform. And they're such a talented group of young people. They're, you know, it's a, the auxiliary team, the marching band, which are the brass instruments, and then the drum line, them coming together. It's extremely phenomenal. So what, what was one of the challenges in terms of uh, photographing this? Because there's a lot that you could do photographing. I'm sure that you did. Yes. But, you know, you have to come in with a sort of an idea of what you want to do. Otherwise, you could just be shooting a lot of pictures. And when you come down to edit it together, you just you don't really know where to start. 
Yeah. So can you tell me in terms of at least what were some of the themes and the ideas that you knew you wanted to address going in and what did you discover that you hadn't anticipated? So I went in wanting to just wanting to focus on the pageantry of it, wanting to focus on how glamorous it was, wanting to focus on them only when they were in uniform and getting ready for their performance. And then as I started spending time there and getting to know some of the students, I realized there was so much more than just this presentation that people see, but there were these relationships, there were these friendships, there were these quiet moments, there were these times of annoyance, there were these times of um, connections, and that's what I started to focus on. So what does it mean to be an adolescent? What does it mean to be to be within this group of people where you all have different stories, but when you are in this environment, you you come together. So I did, it was a challenge because at first there were so many different elements of it. There was there was the dance team and then there was the band and then there was the drum line. And there were multiple times where I would bring photos back to my professor and we would both say, you've done really nice photos, but we don't know what the story is. What's the arc of the story? And it wasn't until I started just spending time to see these quiet moments that I started to find this story and find these themes of, of connection, of of friendship, of, of passion, of, you know, teen, teen love. And that's when it started to click and to come together to me. So going, going to the marching band at times, just when I didn't have my camera, just to say hi, all those little things helped because I wanted them to realize that I'm not just here to take pictures of you. I'm, I really want to tell this story in a way that no one's ever seen before. Um, I want to tell this story beyond just the lights and the costumes. So while that's a part of it and that's such a beautiful part of it, I wanted to show what does it look like when, you know, the drum majors are are nervous, are scared to go out and, and perform. What does it mean when you're exhausted? What does it mean when you're with your boyfriend, um, your girlfriend? What, is it, what does all of that look like? So what are these little bits and pieces that make up this final presentation yeah. of a marching band. Well, you, along with the stills, you have a video on your website. Yes. And tell me why it was important to create to create that, and not just solely fall back on just shooting it, just as a traditional photo essay. Right. I always thought the marching band story would be better. It, it can't just be photos because it's such. It's such a vibrant experience when you're there. There's so much happening that to capture it only in photos really doesn't do it justice. Um, there's, there's so much movement. There's so many lights. There's so much sound. There's so much excitement. The energy is just pulsating. Um, and so I actually did that video just to challenge myself to create a video in one day. I was like, I, I think this was maybe their last game. And I'd been trying to do video a couple of times before, but I knew I needed to keep getting photos. So for this last game, I said, I'm strictly going to focus on video. I've been with them enough to understand the routine and understand what to look for. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to that idea of being with the newspaper. And if you have to produce, produce something quickly, how do you do that? So I wanted to challenge myself to create this sense of environment and this sense of a story within such a short time limit within shooting and, and editing within two, you know, shooting for one day and editing the next day. And that's where I realized I could bring to life the marching band. So while the photos maybe show more of the quiet moments and show more of the relationships, I wanted the video to really bring to life that 
that ending piece of well, what is it that they actually do? What is it that the presentation is that they perform for everyone? You, know, you, you talked about getting the coach's approval, but you are dealing with kids that are in their, in their teens. Uh, yes. They're not adults. So did you have to move through hoops in terms of permissions from the parents, from the school district, from the school itself, in terms of being able to get the access that you needed? No, I really hope I don't get anyone in trouble with this. But I, <laughs> I went to the school and I, I was like, I called Coach White. I sent him an email I hadn't heard back. He just started. So I knew he was like extremely busy. So I went to the school. I went to the main office and I was like, can someone direct me to, you know, Coach White? And he was actually in the office and he was like, oh, that's me. And I just started talking to him. I went with him to the band room and told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. That's, you know, not a problem. And I was like, well, do I have to talk to the school? Is there anyone I need to get permission from? And he was like, no, you're good. And I was really nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But I actually received a really lovely um, message from a woman that she's the district Durham Durham Public School District Media Producer mm-hmm. or some title like that. And she really loved the series. And I, at first I was so scared that she was going to send me an email and tell me I was in trouble for not getting permission from anyone. But the parents, like everyone always saw me there with my camera. Um, the parents saw me when I was there during the, um, the games with my camera. So, yeah, it was really, I thought I was going to have to jump through so many hoops to get approved for this. But I'm so appreciative that everyone was really on board and so kind and and willing to let me do it. It's amazing what happens when you just ask. Yes. I never like calling people on the phone or emailing them because I feel like you can't make that connection. And if Mm -hmm. you talk to them in person, then they understand. And it's the scariest thing to me just to ask, but I'm like, you have to get past that because it's either a yes or a no. And a lot of times it's going to be yes. You do a lot of that when you're, when you're telling stories of, of people who you don't know. Yes. Oh my gosh, so much. So t- tell me about what what helps you to get past that fear and the and, and the and anxiety to ask someone whose story you want to tell. What, you know. <gasps> yeah, that's so funny because I I feel like a lot of photojournalists, I wonder if they suffer from this, but I get such terrible anxiety and photography is the one thing that helps calm that. And then there's that adrenaline and that anxiety right in the beginning of, "Oh my gosh, I have to tell them what it is I want to do." What if they turn me down? What if this is a flop? But at the end of the day, it's like, I, I want this to be a partnership. It's not just about me. I want to tell your, I want to tell your story. Um, and I want people to know that it's not about me. It's not about me getting recognition. It's about your story deserves to be heard. And I think it's extremely fascinating and extremely beautiful. And I want other people to hear that story. And I think when you let people know it's about them and not you, that's when they're more willing to be open to the offer because who who doesn't want their story told? Who doesn't want people to hear what they've been through, to hear what they've experienced, to see their talents? And so I don't ever want it to be about me. This this image or this video is going to advance my career. It's about how will this heal you? How will this make you? Um, how will this give you some notoriety? You know, at the end of the day, I, I worked on a really amazing story at the Tampa Bay Times about a woman named Cora who lost her daughter, her sister, and her niece in a terrible car crash on the same day. Um, and she had to take care. She Cora began taking care of her grandchildren, um, all under the age of six. 
And I worked with an amazing reporter, Zach Sampson. And the first day we just went to their house to speak with them. And we spent time with the children. We let the kids climb on us. We played games with them. And Cora was really hesitant at first when Zach spoke with her on the phone to let us do this, this project. She didn't want to speak to any media for that year. She had not spoken to anyone. But just us putting away that that identity of photographer, of reporter, and just wanting to connect on a human level, that's when Cora agreed to do it. And we thought she was never going to let us in. We thought we were only going to be able to speak with her mother. Um, and the entire family really accepted us. And it showed me just how much it means to be a human and to really care beyond beyond a project. And Cora told us that she just, she thanked us so much for telling the story because even her uncle said, you see how she's so much, it seems like she's healed a bit from telling this story. And I still receive text messages from Cora. I actually just received one this morning of Demarius with like his cute little school outfit on. And it means so much to have those connections beyond just what you're doing for that moment, whether it is a day or a week or a year, but that you can still talk with them. You can still relate with them after that. What's been the most gratifying part of that, uh, of, of the relationship she built, not just with Cora and her family, but the many people that you've, that you've had the opportunity to tell their stories? How has it changed you? I think it's made me just understand life differently. I think that's why, that's why I, I got into photojournalism and vis- visual journalism because I understood there was more than just the surface. And I understood that with myself going from Los Angeles to the suburban school and having a really hard experience with trying to fit in and no one understanding my story. And I never wanted to see that happen to anyone else again. So it's helped me just realize there, there are good people in this world. Sometimes this world can be so overwhelming for me. There's so much sadness and pain and darkness that's happening, but to connect with these people for however quick or long it is, allows me to realize that there, there is hope that there is beauty that there are people that want love just like us, that we are all the same. And no one should be placed in a hierarchy of of having more importance than anyone else. I mean, I I would rather do someone's story that's just a regular person on the neighborhood than a celebrity any day mm-hmm. because that story deserves to be heard because there's something there that's so magical. There's something there that could help someone else. There's something there that could really inspire somebody. And for me, it just means a lot that people care to open up and that they trust me enough to open up. Um, so I think it helps me just realize I don't want to judge people by, by their first appearance, by their first encounter. And I want, I want to connect with as many people as I can. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh my God, there's so many friends I want to recommend, but I think I'm going to go with an old school person. And I would have to say, look up Roy Decarava. Not many people know that name if you're not familiar with black photographers. Um, He did an amazing book with Langston Hughes, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm, It was called The Sweet Fly Paper of Life. Yes, it was him and Langston Hughes. Roy Decker-Robert was the first um, African-American to receive the Guggenheim, and he just did an amazing job of documenting black life. And this book is crazy expensive, but somehow I found it on eBay for like $20. So if you can 
buy it, I would recommend it. But I would I would say look at his work. He really goes against this idea of what photography should be. And um, you see his own like music and jazz talking through these images. But there are so many young photographers coming up in this game that I would love to recommend. But I'm just going to save that for another time. Okay. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Um, they can go to my website. It's sophianollyallison.com, S-O-P-H-I-A-N-A-H-L-I, and then Allison with two L's. Um, and then after much, much resistance, I finally started an Instagram. I'm still trying to understand if I like it or not. Um, but I'm just, if you just search Sophia Nolly Allison, you can find me there. And I'm trying to get better at this whole social media thing. Uh-uh, we all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really wish it was the 90s and I could just like write letters and take Polaroid pictures, but it's not. <laughs> well, thank you so much for making time for me this morning. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining me. Please remember that you do make a big difference in our show. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store and make a small contribution to the show. It all goes a long way. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.